Father, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. In one way or another, all of us care what people think. Sometimes we like to say, I don't care what people think, but the reality is you can't get away from it. Now, that's not all bad. There are people, and maybe we ourselves, who have made decisions about not doing things that are harmful or doing things that are good because in the back of our mind we're thinking, what will people think? It can be an, a positive motivation. It can, but it's, it's, not always, it's not always good either. I remember, you know, in high school, the, the kids in high school who lived their life saying, I don't care what people think, spent a lot of time in the vice principal's office. And people in college who said, I don't care what people think, got to know the dean of students pretty well, too. I mean, there is a point where you have to say, despite what I want to think, what people think matters to me. And that can be good and it can be bad, but it puts us often in a dilemma of how we are to live our lives with that understanding and that question impinging on it, and I think that's where we find Joseph. I have no idea how Joseph finds out that Mary is pregnant. It might be that uh, she starts showing and Joseph sees her. It might be that word gets around town. It might be that she comes to Joseph and tells him herself this fantastic story about a visit from an angel. We have no idea how Joseph finds out but when Joseph finds out, he is now in a dilemma. What are people going to think? Scripture says that when Joseph found out, he considered what he should do. Ken Bailey says that the word, the word that's translated considered can also mean become angry. And he said that word, it's the same word or, or form of it that's used uh, to describe Herod's emotion when he realizes that the wise men are not going to come back to Jerusalem and tell him where the Christ child is. And he is angry about it. It's the same word used to describe Peter's dilemma when he has the dream about eating unclean food. And God says to him, take and eat. And then, then the next thing is he gets a visit from uh, a Roman soldier's contention and says, God says, you go with them, you go into a Gentile's home, something he's never done before, and you tell them about Christ. And Peter is wrestling with that. He's upset about that because it goes against the grain of everything he's thought about what it means to be a follower of God. And you can't help but think Joseph is not just sitting there going, huh, I wonder what I should do, but he's upset. There's an Arabic translation of this passage that says, the translated says, and, and Joseph was disturbed about it. Sure he's disturbed. Because the reality is his reputation is on the line. His reputation in the synagogue, his reputation about his business. This is scandalous in the little village. And, and Joseph is trying to figure out what to do, how to respond 
You can imagine all of his friends and family are saying, Joseph, you got to get out of this. you got to make sure it's clear. You had nothing to do with this. You have to protect your reputation. What are people going to think? And Joseph ponders that and thinks through that and tries to figure out what to do. And you know that Joseph is wondering about his reputation and that it's at the forefront of his mind because when an angel appears to him in a dream a little bit later, the angel says to Joseph, don't be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. Why would Joseph be afraid to take Mary home as his wife unless doing so raises the question, but what are people going to think? They're going, if, if he takes Mary as his wife, they're going to think, this is Joseph's baby. And he and Mary have been involved in something that's against the law of God. And so Joseph is in this dilemma in the village. What are people going to think? And he's trying to figure out what to do. And he's in this tension between Mary and the community. And Matthew tells us that, that Joseph is a righteous man. He's a good man. He's a God-fearing man. He wants to do what's right. And so he comes up with a plan that he hopes will sort of pacify everyone and protect his reputation at the same time. So he says he's going to divorce Mary, and that will protect his reputation and sort of make the community okay. But he's also going to do it quietly so that he doesn't put undue burden and strain and judgment on Mary. He is, he's trying to do both things, trying to do what's right, trying to protect his reputation from that question, but what do people think? And it feels like he's come to the right place, and then he has a dream, and all of it gets blown apart. And in this dream, the angel says, this child is from God, and you need to take Mary as your wife. And now Joseph is in a tension, not between Mary and the community, but between God and the community. Now the tension is, do I, do I make the decision based on what are people going to think, or do I make the decision based on what God is asking me to do? I suspect that we have found ourselves in similar dilemmas at times. What do we do? We're trying to protect our reputation. We're trying to protect ourselves. We're trying to make sure that, that we are paying attention to what will people think. But all the while, God is saying, I want you to step out of that box, and I want you to do something, act in obedience for me. The thing about what the angel says to Joseph is that this, this action is not just about Joseph and Mary. It's something so much bigger in verse 21, the angel says that this child is going to call him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Joseph, if you obey God, you're going to do something so amazing you can't even imagine it. Actually, Joseph, what you're going to do is you're going to be a channel, a vessel through which God brings salvation to the very people that you're afraid are judging you. Will you let God do that? Will you put aside what will people think? Not because you don't care about them, but because ultimately you do care about them. And you're part of something of God's purposes and plan so much bigger, so much wider, so much greater.
And of course, as we know from the story, Joseph says, okay, I'm in. Let's do it. Surely with fear and trembling, but he doesn't. You know, as I, as I mentioned to you a couple weeks ago, during this Advent season and thinking about these familiar stories, try to think about them from the perspective of the community, of the crowd. That while the stories are, are you know, are, are central, the central characters of the story are Mary and Joseph and the earlier weeks, John the Baptist and Zachariah and Elizabeth, but, but trying to think about how the people that are around them, how the community, how they, the, the cast, the extras in the drama, what, what's their role, what, what's their part, what is this saying to them? And the more I pondered that, the more I realized that I, I wonder if this isn't a way of God saying to his people, not just do what Joseph does, but even more, to be a community, to cultivate a spirit in the community that causes people who are, who are called by God to something outside the box to create a culture in which when people are confronted with this from God, their response is not, but what will people think? But rather, I can't wait to share with people what God is calling me to do. That God is, is calling us to cultivate an attitude, a spirit as the church, locally and globally, that says our first response is not judgment and suspicion, but rather openness and celebration that God is calling people among us to something bigger than us. To have that kind of spirit. It goes against the grain, I realize, of, of sort of how we think as human beings. It goes against the grain of, of the dynamics of so often of our relationships. But isn't that what the gospel is always calling us to? Something bigger, something different, something transformational than what is just natural for us. If God didn't want to push us beyond what is natural and, and complacent and comfortable then surely all the stories and all the ways in which God interacts with people would be far different. This story would be far different. And I think it's a way in which God is saying to us, I want my people to cultivate a spirit of openness and of sensitivity and of, and of accountability and love and grace with one another that encourages us to respond positively to the things that God's calling us to. That doesn't mean that we don't test the spirits. Not everything that we think is from God is from God. That's why we need the community to help us walk through that journey. But not in a judgmental way, but in a way that is open to God and, and, and seeking God and, and learning from God. A way that, that cultivates a different kind of spirit than what we might typically think when that first question that pops in our mind is, but what will people think? That we create a spirit and a culture that invites and celebrates obedience to the larger calls of God on each of our lives. There's a, in, in Mark's gospel, he talks, it's the story of Jesus feeding the 4,000. And after that, 
phenomenal miracle. He gets in the boat with his disciples and he warns them. He says, beware of the yeast of the Pharisees and of Herod. And what's fascinating about that, disciples don't understand. They think he's still talking about bread and something they did wrong. And and they start getting into an, an argument about it, that who didn't bring enough bread. But Jesus says, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about how in the same way that yeast influences dough and changes the whole structure of the bread, so the Pharisees have a way of of getting into into the lives of other people, and and it it affects them. And what's fascinating is that when you follow the gospel of Mark from that point on, you find that the very next story is that Jesus is healing a man who's blind, and it's the only time in the scripture in which it takes two touches from Jesus to heal this man. And you almost get the sense in which Mark is saying the yeast of the Pharisees is already affecting people and it's creating not faith but doubt. And the rest of the stories in Mark's gospel, until you get to the the resurrection, almost every single one of them reflects negatively on the disciples. And it's as if Mark is saying the kind of of community that we are with, the kind of community that we develop has a bearing on who we are and how we respond to God. Either in obedience and faith or not. So what does that look like? What are the characteristics that we might find in a community that is, has that spirit of openness, that's creating an atmosphere that is not what will people think, but rather, I can't wait to share what God's speaking, saying to me, and we work through that together. I think it has to change some things from self-righteousness and suspicion and power and, and intimidation and judgment and unrealistic perfectionism to things like self-giving and trust and vulnerability, and humility, and openness, and grace, confession, accountability, forgiveness. The kind of atmosphere that in which we begin to to experience a different kind of dynamic, we experience the fruit of the Spirit that changes who we are. And, and, And I suspect that it starts small. One or two people here, one or two people there. But that's the way it always starts. You think back to the story of Cain and Abel. And and Cain kills his brother. And it isn't very long, just another generation or two after that, that one of his descendants, Lamech, kills two men because they sort of get the impression that they they look sideways at him and and it irritates him. And then you get all the way to the story of Noah and the earth is so wicked and there's so so much evil going on that God has to start all over again. And what we find is that sin escalates. But I am convinced that holiness escalates too. And so you have Abraham, whom God says, follow me, and I will not only change your life, but I will change the lives of your descendants and through your descendants the whole world. And you see it happening. And Christ calls the church just a few disciples. And you see holiness following Christ escalating that's the way God works that's why small groups are so important to the church that's why having accountability partners are so important to our walk with Christ that's why developing this kind of atmosphere it starts on a small scale and it grows but God is calling every one of us 
to be willing, to be open. It's the way God works. It's the Spirit of God Himself. You read into the Old Testament, you, you find that the Israelites, after God has brought them out of Egypt, begin putting, wanting to put limits on God and who He can forgive and who He can be compassionate toward. And God's response to them is, look, I'll be compassionate to whoever I want to be compassionate to. And I'll be forgiving to anyone that I want to be forgiving to. I'm not going to allow you to limit what I do and who I am. Because this is the nature of who God is. I think God is saying to Joseph, look, I know you have this box about how I work. And part of that box is, what do people think? I want to shatter that. Because I'm so much bigger, so much wider, so much more than what you are dreaming and imagining in this moment. Isn't that what Jesus is trying to tell us in the parable of the prodigal son? The story that is not just about the son or both sons. You get the feeling when you read the story, it's really about the father. I love the fact that when Tim Keller talks about this story, he calls the father in the story, he calls it the prodigal God. And I love that because here is a father who has been shamed and humiliated by his son, by both sons. And yet when he sees that son returning, he runs toward him, embraces him, welcomes him home. He does what fathers in that culture don't do to welcome home his son. And that's the nature of who God is. You see, the central person in this story is not Joseph, and it's not Mary, and it's not the angel. It's the child. It's the baby. The baby is the central character in the story. That's why when the angel is, the last thing the angel says to Joseph is, you will call him, we called, he will be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. That is the essence of the story. God with us. That's how this pipe dream of creating a culture that is so open and sensitive to God that we celebrate whatever God's asking of us, that's how it happens. By acknowledging and affirming and embracing and believing and surrendering to the God who is with us. We can try as hard as we can, to create this kind of culture, it will not happen. It is only possible through the grace of Christ in us. That we, like Joseph, begin to see the kingdom of God is so much bigger and wider and greater than the boxes we tend to create. And to believe that God with us is a reason to celebrate and rejoice, even if it means following him bears, bears in a way that our reputations aren't what we want them to be. Even if following him means that people don't understand. But as the community of faith, Christ is at the center.
and we give up self, and we give up our desires to follow him. I've mentioned this before, but uh, Dennis Kinlaw is one of my spiritual heroes. As a, he's influenced my life in, in so many ways as a seminary professor, as a preacher, even as a, as a friend who I had opportunities on a few occasions to, to have, spend time with. I heard him tell the story of, um, of his, as, as a, a young boy, that he was, he was terribly shy. He didn't, he didn't want to talk to people. He didn't like being around people that much. And he's certainly not standing up in front of people. He was such a shy person. And it continued even into his teen years. And he says that when he was a senior in high school, their church celebrated the 200th anniversary of John Wesley's conversion experience at Aldersgate. It was the, the large Methodist church in the county seat where he lived. It was the place where if you were anybody, that's where you went to church. And, and uh, there was a lot of culture to that church. And, and it was one of those places where it was, it was a, a status symbol in, in some ways to be a part of this large church. And as a part of this celebration, he had the task of carrying a candle down the aisle and walking to the pulpit, saying a short poem, and then putting that candle in a candle opera. And he said, when he started down the aisle with this lit candle, it was shaking because he was so nervous. And by the time he got to the front, it was going like this. And when he stepped into the pulpit, you thought that maybe he was going to set the place on fire, throwing the candle all over the place. And he started into his piece, but instead of the first line, he said the second line. He tried to go back to the first line, but he couldn't remember it. And then he went, tried to go to the third line, and he couldn't remember that at all either. And he just stood there silent for a few minutes. And then he finally just gave up, walked over, put his candle in the candle opera, and walked off humiliated. And he said, it was right after that that God said to me, Dennis, I want you to preach. And he said, I looked at God and said, uh, I think you've made a mistake. There's no way I can do that. He said, God, didn't you just see what happened? I, I'd never want to humiliate you like that. And he said, it was almost as if I heard an audible voice and God said to me, Dennis, I don't think it's my humiliation that you're worried about. He said, God said to me, are you willing are you willing to be embarrassed and shake and be humiliated to be my servant to the gospel? And ultimately, ultimately, that's exactly what happened. It starts with each one of us being willing to risk what people might think, to be obedient to God's call, to be a part of God's greater purposes, to be a part of the work of his kingdom, not just in the church, but in the world, through the grace and the mercy of Jesus Christ. Father, we pray that you will give us the ability to see and to think to open our hearts to you, to be sensitive to you, 
and to let you start with us to create a church, your church, through whom and through which you do more than we could dream or imagine. And we pray this through Christ Jesus. Amen.